So suppose I were to stand here and say, winter is the best time of the year, and there's nothing finer than a snowstorm like we got last Sunday and Monday. <laughs> some of you are cheering, and some of you are booing. So how many agree with what I just said? Raise your hands high and proud. Excellent, look at that. And how many of you disagree? <laughs> and how many of you vehemently disagree? <laughs> okay, look around. Now clearly you're wrong, but that's okay. It's okay because we don't all agree on the merits of winter. Or suppose I were to say, lobster is delicious, and Brussels sprouts are gross, and football is boring, and dogs are far superior to cats in every way. <laughs> now about some of the, I just made some friends and I just made some enemies, right? Because some of you have very strong feelings about football and Brussels sprouts and cats, right? right? This is the thing about opinions. Sometimes we agree and sometimes we disagree. Now we all know that the, um, the biggest disagreements in life generally revolve around the big, the most weighty matters of life, right? Things like... <laughs> now, I don't know why this is even a question, because it's obvious. Right? I mean, please tell me there's no one in this room that disagrees with this. <laughs> the biggest disagreements revolve around the weightiest matters of life. And then there are some of you here who are thinking, I don't even know what the problem is. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but I might have to ask you to leave. <laughs> is we all have opinions, and whatever they are, we tend to hold on to them pretty tightly, don't we? Mark Twain once wrote, I am not one of those who, in expressing opinions, confine themselves to the facts. <laughs> it sounds like something that we're encountering quite a lot these days. I am not one of those who, in expressing opinions, confine themselves to the facts. Or in other words, if we're honest, many of us would have to admit that we often live by what Sarah's dad refers to as the Ewing family motto, which is often wrong, but never in doubt. Actually goes way back before my dad. Goes way back. Sarah, Sarah just Sarah revealed during the nine o'clock worship gathering something I never knew, and that was in the 80s. The Ewing family actually did have t-shirts printed like that. For a family reunion. Uh, the yeah. Ewing family motto, often wrong, but never in doubt. So this is our seventh and final week of this worship series that we began early in January called Radical Hospitality. Now we don't usually devote seven weeks to a worship series. This is the longest one I think that we've ever done. But we felt like this was a topic we wanted to really dig into, and it's a timely topic. And uh, 
It's a theme that we're going to actually return to again and again during the year 2017. We've kind of taken on radical hospitality as an overarching theme for the year. So we've been exploring what it means to welcome one another, and especially to welcome the stranger or the outsider, the one who's often on the margins, with the kind of welcome that we have received from God, which is an all-embracing, all-inclusive, radical, loving welcome. So today we're going to explore that question that I shared at the beginning. How do we offer hospitality to those with whom we disagree? Even to those with whom we disagree strongly. Anyone find this is a question that you sometimes wrestle with? Yes? Especially right now, perhaps? So before we jump in, I want to share a story from Scripture. And this is from the book of Acts, so that means it's a story from the early Christian church. And it's a story about a church fight. There's a big fight going on in the early church, and here's the gist of the fight. There are some who believe that Jesus came only for the Jews, which was a perfectly logical argument, because the Jews had been waiting for generations and generations for the Messiah, and some believe that Jesus was the Messiah for whom they'd been waiting. But there's a rumor going around that in Antioch, there are Gentiles who are being baptized and joining the fellowship. Now, who's a Gentile? Anyone who wasn't a Jew. This is a really big deal. I think today it's hard for us to grasp just how big a deal this was. That a Gentile, someone who is not a Jew, an outsider, could be baptized and join the fellowship. That was like an abomination to those who were religious leaders who held on to the tradition and the custom. So there's this big fight that breaks out, and the Apostle Paul and his sidekick Barnabas are visiting Antioch and learning about this dispute that's going on. So I'm going to read a good portion of Acts chapter 15. It's kind of a long story, so just kind of, you know, kind of like... Brace yourself and find a comfortable spot in the seat where you're sitting. Put your shopping list aside. Just try to kind of listen while I read this story. I'm going to stop a couple times to talk about what's happening. Some people came down from Judea teaching the family of believers. Unless you are circumcised, don't be distracted by that word. It just means unless you're a Jew. According to the custom we've received from Moses, you can't be saved. Now, Paul and Barnabas took sides against these Judeans and argued strongly against their positions. So you see, there's a disagreement, right? There's a disagreement here. The church in Antioch appointed Paul, Barnabas, and several others from Antioch to go up to Jerusalem to set this question before the apostles and the elders. So why are they going to Jerusalem? What's that? Exactly. So they're going to go up to this is the headquarters, right? They're going to send their cohort up there, and they're going to hash it out with the head honchos, right? And see what they can come up with for an answer. The church sent this delegation on their way. They traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, telling stories about the conversion of the Gentiles to everyone. Their reports thrilled the brothers and sisters. When they arrived in Jerusalem, the church, the apostles, and the elders all welcomed them. Hospitality. 
They gave a full report of what God had accomplished through their activity. Some believers from among the Pharisees stood up and claimed, the Gentiles must be circumcised. They must be required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. After much debate, Peter stood and addressed them. Fellow believers, you know that early on, God chose me from among you as the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and come to believe. God, who knows people's deepest thoughts and desires, confirmed this by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinctions between us and them, but purified their deepest thoughts and desires through faith. Why then are you now challenging God? by placing a burden on the shoulders of these disciples that neither we nor our ancestors could bear. So in the message that's translated, why are you trying to out-God God? Just think about that for a second. Why are you trying to out-God God? Why are you placing a burden on them that even we would, would and our ancestors couldn't bear? On the contrary, we believe that we and they are saved in the same way by the grace of the Lord Jesus. And the entire assembly fell quiet as they listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders that God did among the Gentiles through their activity. When Barnabas and Paul also fell silent, James responded, Fellow believers, listen to me. Simon reported how in his kindness God came up to the Gentiles in the first place, to raise up from them a people of God. The prophet's words agree with this, as it is written. And then he goes on to share some Old Testament scriptures to try to build this case. Even in, even in their scriptures are words that would back up this case. So he says, therefore, I conclude that we shouldn't create problems for Gentiles who turn to God. Instead, we should write a letter telling them to avoid the pollution associated with idols, sexual immorality, eating meat from strangled animals, and consuming blood. After all, Moses has been proclaimed in every city for a long time and is read aloud every Sabbath in every synagogue. So what's happening here? What's happening? <laughs> Good question, right? They're finding a way to welcome. They're finding a way to welcome. And how are they doing that? How are they, how are they engaging this kind of topic this disagreement. What are, what, are, what are Paul and Barnabas and Peter doing in this assembly? They're making a case, right? And how are they building on their case? History. They're sharing what's happened. They're sharing their own experience, right? They're telling stories. What are you going to say? Oh, sorry. No, no just <laughs> Sorry. That'll teach you to stretch and work. <laughs> Yeah, they listened. And they listened. Did you notice that? After they finished talking, they just sat and let, let the silence hang. It says, even Paul and Barnabas sat in silence. Right? They shut up, and they gave space for people to process and to listen. They didn't overfill the air with words. So they shared from their own experience. They gave a full report of what, they, what they'd seen God doing in the lives of Gentiles. They also stood their ground, right? They argued respectfully, but they didn't retreat, and they didn't capitulate. 
They made a compelling case. Why are you trying to out-God God? They shut up and they sat in silence. And then they found places of agreement and nurtured consensus. Now, was it a guarantee that it was going to come out this way? Of course not, right? But it did seem to come out this way because what happens after that is the apostles and elders agree to send a letter, of course, hand-delivered, um, back to Antioch to say, it's okay. What you're doing is okay. The Gentiles are welcome to be baptized and join the fellowship. We've been convinced. And so that's what happens. They send, they send this message. Um, and Paul and Barnabas stay in Antioch and teach and proclaim the good news of, God, of God's people. So the interesting thing is at the end of this chapter, there's another disagreement, which seems really small compared to that big, huge one that they just worked through. And listen to how this disagreement comes out. I think this is hysterically funny, actually. <laughs> Sometime later, this is still Acts 15, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit all the brothers and sisters in every city where we preach the Lord's word. Let's see how they're doing. Now Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them. But Paul insisted that they shouldn't take John Mark along since he deserted them in Pamphylia and hadn't continued with them in their work. Their argument became so intense that they went their separate ways. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left and trusted the brothers and sisters to the Lord's grace. And then he traveled through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So there's another argument over whether John Mark could go with them. And they could not work that one out. And so they split up and went their separate ways. That sometimes is another outcome from disagreement, is that you have to agree to disagree, and there's a split, and people go their separate ways. That also is an okay outcome sometimes in places of, a, of disagreement. So this is a time in our nation's history when I think there are many of us who are feeling deep distress about some of the things that are happening in our country. Things like cabinet appointments, executive orders, inflammatory statements being made, right? Anyone noticing these things at all? Are you paying attention to some of that? And as a result, I think many of us are finding that we are compelled to speak out even when that means we find ourselves disagreeing with friends, neighbors, coworkers, even family members, sometimes even a spouse, right? And how does this feel? Hard, not good, unsettling, right? Anyone feel a sense of sort of unsettled or distressed over disagreements that you have with people that you really care about? Yeah? I think it's a pretty common experience right now. So one thing I want to say is that disagreeing in Christian love does not mean that you have to just give up your position. It doesn't mean that you have to just retreat or capitulate. But there are ways to disagree that are respectful and that honor the humanity of the one with whom you disagree. So I have found some words uh, inspiring that were written by this guy, William Lloyd Garrison, who lived from 1805 to 1879, a prominent American abolitionist, which means what? Against slavery. A journalist, a suffragist, which means women's rights, and a social reformer. 
So he's best known for editing, founding and editing this abolitionist newspaper called The Liberator, which he published in Massachusetts until slavery was abolished by constitutional amendment after the American Civil War. So this quote that I found inspiring comes from the opening letter in this newspaper, The Liberator, a letter called To the Public, which was in the very first issue of that publication. And here's what he wrote. I am aware that many object to the severity of my language, but is there not cause for severity? I will be as harsh as truth and as uncompromising as justice. On this subject, I do not wish to think or to speak or to write with moderation. No, no. Tell a man whose house is on fire to give a moderate priority. <laughs> Tell him to moderately rescue his wife from the hands of the ravisher. Tell the mother to gradually extricate her babe from the fire into which it has fallen. But urge me not to use moderation in a cause like the present. I am in earnest, I will not equivocate, I will not excuse, I will not retreat a single inch, and I will be heard. <laughs> <laughs>